0: Good morning and welcome to Grace City. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community this morning. Hey, first things first, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, thank you so much for the way that you love and serve in the home and the way that you put on display God's love to your children. So I, I pray God's blessing, God's strength on you in that role and the way that you lead and the way that you serve in the home. So happy Father's Day to you all. I think it was last week, we started a brand new teaching series looking at Christ the Healer. And I think this is a needed s- series for us, just given everything that's happening across our nation. This is a cultural moment where we can see so much that, so much that is fr- fractured and broken and divided. And now is the time when the church can be the ones to point to how it is Christ who heals. Christ heals what is broken and fractured in our own souls. And yes, he absolutely cares about what is broken and fractured in our societies and so this series is helping us to see how our efforts at, at justice and restoration in this world that that points to and mirrors and shows and draws people to Jesus's great effort of redemption and victory over sin and death and really we're just following the example that he left for his church and serving one another in this way it, it is a way that our declaration of the gospel is met just as enthusiastically by our demonstrations of in the way that we love one another and serve them with the mercy and the grace of Christ. In our text today, we will see once again that Jesus Himself shows us how, how to both declare and demonstrate that He alone is the redemptive agent of grace that can fix what is broken and flawed in our souls. And I do believe that that with that inward transformation of of the people of God, that can lead to fixing what is broken and flawed in our cities as well. This text will show us that it's not the false gods that we conjure up to ease our pain, it's it's not the religious system of rules that we use to, to judge our self righteousness. It is simply Christ and Christ alone who's sent to heal us from our sin and take them away from us. And as He will demonstrate this hope through an act of mercy given towards an individual, when we take up the work of giving and showing mercy to those suffering in our communities, to those suffering around us, we too can draw others to the grace and to the healing work of Jesus. And that, that is a needed witness from the church today. And so let's have at it. Go to John chapter five, John chapter five, verses one through 15. As you're making your way there, I wanna set up this passage of scripture uh, really by, by using the words of John. In John chapter 20, verse thirty through 31, John tells us why he recorded so many of the miracles of Jesus. And he says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John records the miracles of Jesus so that you and I might discover life in him. That's why he records these miracles. That's why he gives them to us in in his gospel. But know this, really what we need to remember in interacting with this text today is that although John records the miracles, it is Jesus who performs them. And as such, he's the one who orchestrates all the details within them. The, the person, the place, the, the setting, all of these are orchestrated to reinforce his ministry and his message. So as we read this today, we don't just need to see, hey, Jesus did a miracle. No, no, we need to pay attention to the who, what, where, when, and why of it all. And so to that end, we're going to do work with this text. Uh, we're, we're going to see some details in it. We're going to pull them to the forefront. And, and I just believe all of that is going to kind of fill in for us this picture or, or help us understand all that Jesus is teaching us in and through uh, this interaction that he has with this, with this one man. So let's have at it. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. We'll stop there because there are plenty of details that we need to work our way through. At the start, we don't know, we don't have an exact when this took place. It just says it was close to one of the Jewish festivals. But we are given a precise location. This happens at the pools of Bethesda. Bethesda translates to mean house of mercy or house of two outpourings. And that was the name of this place because there were two pools there that were spring fed with waters that were very rich in minerals. And so it was really kind of a therapeutic place. People would go and soak in these mineral rich waters and it had to some degree a restorative effect on on skin, on skin skin conditions and just kind of a a dry environment. It it was uh, refreshing and therapeutic, so to speak, if you will. And so uh, it was was a draw, so much so that they built these five colonnades or five porch areas in and around these two pools. And on those porch areas or in these two porch areas, you'd have uh, these great numbers of blind, lame, and paralyzed who were all coming, vying for their chance to to get into the pools uh, there at Bethesda. So why why they're there is a little bit of, um, well, it's not subject to debate. We'll we'll go through that a little bit. One person that tried to help us understand why they're there was a Bible translator translator who came after John had written his gospel. After John has written his gospel, he's uh, this individual was r- recording it and trying to pass it down and was wanting to help fill in the gaps for why so many had gathered there. And he actually added a verse into scripture. And it's in the footnotes. I don't know if you noticed, it went from verse three to verse five. Verse four in the footnotes is his addition into scripture. Now that's kind of a thing you don't ever do is add to scripture. And later on, when they discovered earlier source documents of John, it was revealed that that verse was added. So it was taken out and placed in the footnotes just to connect us back to that history. So for you and for me, we don't need to place much emphasis on it since it was not a part of the original source documents for the Gospel of John. Even though he was trying to help us understand why so many had gathered there, really just the historical context would, would do that for us. Because there is another reason why so many people gathered at the pool. And that's because in addition to just being kind of a therapeutic place, it was uh, very close to these pools was a... T- was a temple of worship to the false god Asclepius. Asclepius was a false god of healing and benevolence. And, 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 and that, and, so many were drawn to that. And again, it was close to these Bethesda pools. But the people would visit the temple at Asclepius and go to see their priests. And the priests would look through the crowds and find people uh, really similar to kind of how false faith healers do it today. They would look through and see people that had headaches or muscle strains or some joint pain or some skin to skin conditions. And, and they would pick those people out to be healed, right? They wouldn't pick the paralyzed, the blind or the lame. They, they would pick those out with, with certain types of Ailments. And then they would give them uh, the prescription for their treatment. Right? They would say, "Get some sleep, uh, change your diet, and then go soak in the mineral-rich waters at Bethesda." And they would go. and And when you're treating stuff like a migraine or those skin conditions, you know, or, 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 or treating stuff like a headache, you know that that might help. That might actually, you know, help in the, in those efforts. And so they would go and they would spread word that, hey, the false god Asclepius healed me. And then that word would grow and grow and grow to where eventually the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed begin to nurture this hope that maybe, just maybe, Asclepius could save or heal or fix them. And so you have these masses that are coming to these pools. But Jesus comes to this place as well. And he looks at the masses and he sees all the people that are gathered there. And he sees one man in particular and he goes and singles him out. He approaches a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. This is, all, this is a deliberate. This is a, another way that Jesus is letting us know both who he is and what he's going to do. As he's going to connect this event, this healing of this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, back to another event in Israel's past. Early in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting the Israelites' journey out of slavery and into the promised land. He's, he's recounting some events of the Exodus. And as he's doing that, he, he speaks to an incident of rebellion where the people of God rebel against God at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And in Deuteronomy chapter two, verse 14, it says this, they rebelled against God and they wandered in the desert for 38 years before they returned to the edge of the promised land. That 38 years was a defining moment in Israel's history. And so it's not an insignificant number. It was a a, a number that called them back to that period where the Israelites were stuck. They couldn't go into the promised land. They couldn't go back to slavery. They were wandering in the desert. So it represents a time, and all that was due to their sin. So it represents a time where they're paralyzed with their sin. They couldn't move forward in their relationship with God. And so it's a significant number to Jewish people so now with Jesus singling, this one man out of all the crowds who's 38 years old, maybe just maybe, this isn't just uh, about this man. Suddenly this story and this healing and this miracle is beginning to take on really even a critique of Israel as well. This isn't just about bringing healing to this man. This is a declaration of Jesus that he alone is a source of healing and salvation for God's people, not some certainly not some false god Asclepius. And as we'll see in a moment, salvation also does not come from our attempts at religion where we're trying to follow the rules of man rather than responding to the call and the heart of God. And and so all this is happening because again, Jesus orchestrates all the details. He orchestrates all this. We we know this because Christ could have healed any person, but he chose this man. He could have picked any day, but in a moment we're gonna see that he chose this Sabbath to again, draw this... uh, Um, uh, attention back to to Israel and their attempts at, at religion. And so what we're seeing as we get into this is this is a loaded story for us. This is a loaded story for us. This is a strong declaration of Christ. It is a call for our response and our repentance as well. Because the very question that Jesus asked of this man in verse six is a question he asked of us today. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That is a piercing question. It cuts through all excuses. It cuts through uh, our circumstances, cuts through our situations, and it goes straight to the core of our desire. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? If yes, if yes, it's going to lead to action. If yes, it's going to lead to, to, to trust. If yes, it's going to lead to some faith. If yes, it's going to lead to, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. So let me see what got me here. Let me see what led me to this moment. Let me leave that. Let me confess that. Let me repent of that. And let me take the appropriate action. It, it, it's a piercing question in that it cuts to the core of our desires. Do you want to get well? Now, at first we think this is a no-brainer of a question that Jesus asked this man. Like, of course, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. Yes, he wants to get well. But how many, how many times, how many times have you, how many times have we, because I've certainly done this myself, how many times have we maybe stayed in an unhealthy situation when, when we thought that there might be a way to get out of it? Like, We've been there in situations where maybe we've chosen the familiarity of the struggle as opposed to the fear of the unknown and so there it's a fair question do you want to get well and and i even think that's a question that you could apply to just the call for justice and just the, the division and, and just the, the fracturing of our society that we're seeing. Like, do, do we genuinely want to get well as a city, as a state, as, as a nation? And there's so many that are emphatically saying, yes, yes, we want to get well. We want to take the appropriate action. We want to confess. We want to repent. We want to take the appropriate action that leads to our healing and restoration. And so there are some that would definitively give a genuine yes. But at the same time, I think there might be some or, or those in, in place or maybe even in some systems that might say no, because it seems as though they, they're feeding off the conflict, fleeting off the chaos, trying to define themselves against the other. And so maybe there's not a genuine yes. And so I, I say all that to say it's a fair question. Do you want to get well? So Jesus asked this of this man, and he replies in verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So this man replies with his reasons for why he hasn't made it into the waters. And, and to, to me, it shows some desire, but maybe also, some, also some shows some reluctance as well. Um, and this, this is me projecting in the text, so I definitively could be wrong on this, all right? So I think we can disagree. It's not going to change how we interact with the story. But I, I think may, maybe, like, I, I could be wrong. Maybe he really has had insanely bad luck all these years. Maybe there hasn't been any loving person who would ever help him get down into the pools. Or maybe just maybe somewhere along the way, his desire to be healed has also become paralyzed. And, and I, I'm not judging that. I'm not, not judging that at all talked about those times where maybe we want to stay in those unhealthy situations rather than take steps forward. And we would say, I've got reasons for that. Well, maybe he does as well. And so again, all this is just a fair question that Jesus asked this man and that he asked of you and me, do you want to get well? Do you want to get Jesus doesn't wait for the answer. He, he, he is going to show him that it's not the false god Asclepius. It's not some supposed miraculous powers of water to heal, but no, it is the divine son of God. Look at what he says in verse eight. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He, pick up, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. We'll stop there because there's plenty. So Jesus tells him, take up the mat and, and walk. And, and I think here you see this man does, does want to get well. Like you see his desire and that he, he, he responds. He didn't have to, but he responds. He obeys Christ, he obeys Christ's commands and he took. All right, so we see he does have a desire to be healed. Christ uh, Christ gives the command, pick up your mat and walk, and he does. He follows that instruction. He takes the appropriate action. He takes up his mat and he walks. But it's on the Sabbath, and this is not a small detail. The The Jewish people's observance of the Sabbath was not only commanded by God, right? It was one of the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It was a day to do no Work. It was a day of rest, and so it's for sure commanded by God. But observing the Sabbath was also a cultural marker. Uh, it was, and what I mean by that, it was a way to be able to distinguish uh, the Jewish people. It set them apart from other people groups. If there was a Jewish person living here and a non-Jewish person living next to them, you would be able to tell which one was Jewish because every seven days they were resting, they were taking a Sabbath, and so it was a cultural marker. It was a way of defining and and and, dis- and seeing, determining who was uh, part of the Israelite nation. So when this man takes up his mat and walks, he's, he's not observing, observing the Sabbath, at least the way that the people described it. And, and so when he does that, they're feeling like he's dis- he's disrespecting the Lord, and he's disrespecting God's people, and so he gets these judgmental looks, right, for taking up his mat and and walking, and that's crazy to me because you know like he's not getting judgmental looks for or he's not getting the crazy looks for like isn't that the guy that's been paralyzed on his mat for thirty eight years like how's he up and walking around how'd that happen right like you would think that would be the response that that would be the headline but but no he gets the judgmental looks because. He takes up his mat and he walks on the Sabbath. It's, it's not like I can't believe this has happened for you. I'm so excited. It's it's, dude. Why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? You're disrespecting the Sabbath. And, and so they end up making his healing and restoration this thing that should be a joyous occasion in his life. They end up looking at at that and actually making making about their view of honoring the Sabbath rather than rejoicing in what's happened or, or, or being concerned for his well being. They, they they find fault. And, and they, they, they come up, they accuse him uh, and, and, and find fault with what's happened, right? They make these false statements uh, to him saying, the law forbids you to carry your mat. When in reality, it did no such thing right scripture says that they're just to rest on the sabbath it didn't say anything about carrying them out or not carrying them out. but where that came from is later on people came and they let's just call them, made addendums to god's word to god's will and when they did that and in an essence kind of removed the spirit of god's law from that they in uh, like the the spirit of god's law in in that honoring of the sabbath was to give rest to man when they made all these extra addendums to it, they put all these other burdens on top of the law, and it 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 did just that. It burdened the law down, right? It, instead of it being a gift, an opportunity to rest, it, it created work, and it was a burden that began to to wear men down. So, so much the point to where instead of rejoicing out of love for this man's healing, they criticized and found fault that it wasn't done right, that it it, it should have happened another way, that that. The healing should have been expressed in another form, in another fashion. But look at how the man replies to them. Verse 11 and and 13, he says this, uh, but he replied to them, "The "'The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk.' So they asked him, "'Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk?' The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there." So the man who's healed says the guy who healed me told me to do it, right? <laughs> they say he doesn't even know Jesus's name at this point because, well, Jesus didn't wait to introduce himself. But what's happening here, what, what, what's happening is with this man, uh, having this interaction, uh, with, with the, with the Jewish leaders, he's demonstrating to the Jewish people, uh, to the, specifically to the Jewish leaders that they are, in a sense, still wandering in the desert, just like their forefathers did 38 years ago. So all their efforts at self-righteousness, all their efforts to follow all the man-made commands to, to measure self-righteousness, like not carrying your mat on the Sabbath, this man standing before them, healed and restored by Jesus, it was was a declaration, right? That all those efforts at self-righteous, that doesn't heal. That doesn't satisfy the soul. That, That doesn't take your sin away. Once more, the criticisms of the miracle showed that their hearts had not been transformed. It showed that their hearts had not been aligned with the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. They might outwardly conform, but inwardly, they are sick with their sin they're still paralyzed with their sin. Only Christ has the power to heal. Only Christ has the power to forgive sin. It's not your efforts to polish the exterior. It's not your efforts to play the part or follow the rules. That's rebellion. It's still rebellion, even though it might even be socially approved rebellion. Now know this, Jesus still isn't done with the guy. In verse 14 and 15, he says this, "'Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, "'See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So Jesus goes and finds him again, but he finds him at the temple. But this isn't the temple to the false god Asclepius. This is the temple to the one true God. And so something's happened at the start of the story. He was worshiping a false god and now he's worshiping. With gratitude over being healed in the temple of the one true God. And so you can see this change in this man's heart. You can see that he's searching and Jesus goes and meets him and says, See, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. In so many ways, it's 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 stop pursuing all these other places of healing, or, or you might lose another 38 years off your life where you're just pursuing all these other options. Now, I do want to say this: Jesus doesn't say stop sinning or you're gonna to go to hell. Like that's not the word the something worse that's gonna to happen to you, because that would actually imply that the man could earn his salvation. When the whole point of the story, right, is Jesus teaching us that he alone is the one who can take our sins away. It's not false gods. It's not our ability to keep the rules. It is Christ and Christ alone. But Christ does give him the call to action, right? It's stop sinning. It's a call to repent and to stop sinning. It's still that, do you want to get well? Well, trust in me and stop pursuing your sinful ways. repent of your sin, trust in me to take the penalty of your sins away. Do you want to get well? If so, trust in christ the healer remember john wrote his gospel so that we may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing might have life in his name it's writing to help us answer the question do you want to get well if so we trust in christ the healer right he can take our sin from us but we have to repent of it and trust in his forgiveness because we know what it's like to be held captive to our sin. We know what it's like to be paralyzed by our sin. We know what it's like to pursue false gods. We might not call them asclepias or, or whatnot, right? But to try to fix what's off inside of us, to try to um, fill that nagging void. So many times we pursue false gods of power, entertainment, money. <laughs> self-help books that turn us into our own guides. And every single one of them, every single one of them will have us sitting on the sidelines of life, losing years off of our life because we're chasing something that's false, that's completely lacking any power. These false guides, they will not save us the rules that cultural religion tries to enforce is they will not save us either, right? The, the rules of cultural Christianity that tries to enforce a certain morality, that even tries to enforce a certain politic that will not save us, right? You can look the part, Man, you can go to church every Sunday. You can join us online every Sunday in the coronavirus pandemic, right? You can, man, you can even share the, the right articles, make those posts, you know, take the Instagram pic of the Bible. It's like you're doing your quiet timer or whatnot, whatever you do it. But if, if there has never been that, moment where it's, I do want to get well, where you're seeing what's broken in your past, confessing it, trusting in Christ's forgiveness, trusting in who he is and the redemptive work that he's doing in your life, then then, then you're just playing the part. You're trying to save yourself out of your own effort and you will fall short. It's rebellion against the plan of God for you to try to do it by yourself. You'll still be wandering in the desert like the Israelites, except the tragedy of it all is, is you won't even know that you're lost the religious guardians of the day, right? That were that were guardians of the Sabbath rule. They thought they were righteous, but they were far from the heart of God. And how was it revealed to them that they were far from the heart of God? You can see that in the way they did not care about the health and the well-being of the man on the mat. They didn't see his humanity. They, they didn't see or remember that he was created in the image of God. They, they didn't see someone that they should love. They didn't see someone that they should be an advocate for. They just saw someone to judge and use for their own agenda and far too often those mired in cultural christianity they they can act in the same way in regards to those uh, uh, in in regards to those needs around them and they insulate themselves in their religion all the while not following the example of the healer to love to serve to to give mercy to those in need and their refusal to do so reveals someone who's never experienced the love and the mercy of christ in their life and 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 and, and expresses that there hasn't been that regeneration, that transformation, and they're still in a state of where they're rejecting the salvation offered by the Savior. So the question comes, do you wanna get well? Do you wanna get well? It is a straightforward question that is a forerunner to action. Do you wanna get well? If yes, then repent of your sin. Yes, then repent of the false gods that we chase. If yes, then let's repent of the rules we're trying to keep to earn God's acceptance. If yes, we can know and trust and trust and rest that God will forgive us, that he'll continue to, that he'll bring about and continue to bring about a redemptive work inside of our heart. He will also call us into the redeeming work that he's doing in this broken and fallen world. We can know that we join him in his love for those and his concern for those who are hurting, who are wounded, who want and need the mercy of Christ in their lives. And when we serve with him in this way, our declaration of the gospel is met with demonstrations of it. When that happens, we spread the good news of Jesus. We spread the good, good news of Jesus, just like this man did in the story, right? In, in verse 15, when, when Jesus goes back and, and introduces himself, what did the man do? He went back to the Jewish leaders and told them it was Christ who healed them. He went back to the Jewish leaders, those that judged them, those that rebuked him, those that criticized him for carrying his mat. He went back to them and he boldly proclaimed the truth of what had happened, that Jesus had made him well, And in so doing, he became a witness of Christ the healer." You see, when we are following the commands, when when, when we are following the commands and the examples of Jesus, really, I should say, when we experience the love and the grace of Christ ourselves personally and then follow his commands and examples, then yes, we're gonna take up the needs and concerns of our neighbor in love and devotion to them. And in so doing, we express how the gospel has impacted and ministered to us. We love as Christ loved us. We partner with him in his ministry of mercy, and we become the witness that is so desperately needed in our world today. Because in this cultural moment, when everyone sees all that is broken and fractured and divided, the church can point all to how it is Christ who heals what's broken and fractured in our own souls and in our own cities. He is Christ the healer, and our hope is in him and in the work he is doing in and through his people. And I pray I pray that is true of our church, that we would experience his love, that we would experience the mercy that he has given to us and join him in his healing and redemptive work. That's a witness that's needed in our world today. And I believe it's a witness that's needed even in the city of Jackson. And I pray Grace City steps to that work, takes on that responsibility so that we can outwardly show the inward work that Christ is doing inside of our hearts and lives as well, so that any and all might discover life in Him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for being the healer. We thank you for being the one that sees what's broken and off and fractured in our life and, and provides a way of restoration and redemption. And so God, I pray that one, we would uh, say we wanna get well, that we would confess our sin, that we would turn away from false gods, turn away from, from our attempts at religion, God, and we would just trust in you and your redemptive work on the cross so that we would experience your love, so that we would experience your grace. And God, I pray that our knowledge of the gospel, our experience with the gospel, would be expressed in our actions, that we would be practitioners of the gospel so that God, we would join you in seeing those who are hurting and seeing those who are wounded and seeing those who are suffering injustice and God be agents of grace in their life, that we would be givers of mercy, that we would join them in the work that they were doing and join you in your healing, redemptive work in this world. So God, help us, help us trust in you And God, help us be a witness to this world, telling all that you alone are a source of hope as you are Christ the healer. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.